creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working. And used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny. Our, yes, our sin. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness, his death, functions as payment. Yes, payment wrote a check with his life but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared pierced feet pierced hands blood-stained son of man fullness forgiveness free passage into the promised land that same breath that god breathed into us god gave up to redeem us by simply believing in christ in christ alone you are receiving life yes Life. This is his gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. That was propaganda. That was a poetic form of presenting the gospel. There are many ways that you can present the gospel. You can speak to someone. Just by conversing to them, you can befriend them and they can see the light of the gospel in your life. You can be like a street preacher on a corner and just proclaiming the gospel to everyone that is under the sound of your voice. There is many ways that you can share the gospel, just like poetic, just like a propaganda. You can wrap it. I'm sure Dante and Donovan knows about that, right? <laughs> In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 13, there is an angel Actually, there's three angels. One of the angels are proclaiming the gospel. is sharing the eternal gospel. And by the way, before we actually get started, in your church itinerary or pamphlet, there is a sermon outline that one of the ushers typed up for me and printed out, which is this. Uh, this will help you to follow along with my train of thought and where we're going uh, with this sermon. But what I was saying is this. There is a angel who is proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel in a way that he is hovering over people, announcing the eternal gospel, the good news. 
As you can see in your sermon outline, it says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 7, the first angel proclaims the eternal gospel all over the earth to call people to repentance and faith of the God of heaven and earth. And as this angel is calling people to repentance, he is like in mid-flight doing this. And as he is in mid-flight, everyone who is under the sound of the angel's voice are hearing the gospel. I remember... um, when the Twin Towers in New York City was attacked on 9-11. Uh, the news of that event was broadcasted all over the entire globe. Everyone on that day knew what happened. It wasn't not one person that didn't know. And it's... In a similar fashion, this is what is going to be in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. I mean, verse 6 through 13. That an angel is going to be proclaiming the gospel to the entire globe that everyone who is there will hear it. It's going to be broadcasted. It's going to be known. While you're there, let me read the first part of the verse, which is Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe, in language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. As I have stated As this angel is proclaiming this particular gospel, the gospel of eternity, he is, in a way, giving everybody the opportunity to repent and to fear God. This is what this angel is doing. It seems that God is pronouncing a final warning to call people unto himself by sending a messenger, which is an angel in verse 1. To preach the good news to those who rebel against him. The messenger is like a street preacher. Who is screaming on top of his lawns and pronouncing all those who are there to repent. This is what this angel is doing. And as we know and as we have learned thus far, this angel is a symbolic uh, term. A way of... John, that is that he's communicating to the people and to the readers of what is going to happen. 
The angel himself is, is just a messenger. So how, how is this particular gospel is going to be proclaimed? That's the question we're going to, we need to ask. Well, this gospel is going to be proclaimed in a way like it was proclaimed in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 13, is like the many Pentecost that is going to happen in the last days. That's what's going to happen. It will be the second Pentecost. So we need to understand when this time of tribulation come, God will continue to use the church in the last days. The church is going to be the messenger. It's going to be a global evangelism will occur and it will start with the church. The first angel in verse 7, he proclaims what I just read. Fear God. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. This is the eternal gospel. This has always been the gospel message before the world was created. This gospel message has always been consistent throughout the history of time. If you recall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, we see the gospel there. Because I want you to understand how God has pre-planned the gospel before he created mankind. God already knew what Adam was going to do. It wasn't like God was called off by surprise. Like, oh, my bad. I didn't know that was going to happen. No. Within the eternal Godhead, God knew the infinite amount of ways of what could occur in the Garden of Eden. This is why the gospel was eternal before the world was created, because God is eternal. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 says, because you have done this. He's speaking to he's speaking to the uh, snake because you have done this. Curse are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is before Christ. This is... A pre-planned thought of God that Christ should come. Think about it. Think about it. 
Like I said, God is eternal. So the word itself, eternal, means beginning. It means endlessness. In other words, the gospel started with God who has no beginning. The gospel is going to end with God who has no end. The eternality of God. Within the context of Revelation chapter 14, it's at the cusp of the last tribulation, the last day before God judgment fully comes upon the earth. It's at the, at the, at the rim of it. Like a water that has been poured, poured into a cup and the water is about to flow over and spill over. This is what's the context of chapter 14 in the book of Revelation. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that we all know that we are not fully in the last days. We're not. But I tell you, as a small application, don't wait till the end comes. You don't have to be in the last days before God's judgment is upon you. Or thinking that God's judgment is upon you. Do not wait to the end of your life to heed to the gospel. Do not wait to, to heed to God's eternal gospel. Do not take the chance of thinking that you have many years to live. Because you don't. Because if you do not fear God by repenting of your sins and worship him, worshiping him with your life, then your actions will be costly. Prior to me going into ministry and prior to uh, Chris and I getting together and uh, getting married, I remember saying to myself, I'm going to wait at the age of 50 to get safe. That was my thought. I was thinking that. I have my entire life to do what I want, and at the very end, I'm going to get saved. That way, I know I'm safe. Smart, but yet dumb. You cannot afford of not heeding to the gospel. For some of you, the question may be, how? How do I heed to the gospel? Well, if, if the gospel was like a video that you can watch on YouTube. How many of y'all have seen the how-to videos? Yeah. Everyone, right? How to bake a cake, you know. For me, I wanted to learn how to tie a tie. And I learned it in that fashion by watching a YouTube video. 
I watched the individual tie his tie and he loop it around, loop it again, swoop it around. And I said, hey, I got this, right? That's how I learned tie to tie. So if the gospel was like a how-to video, which is not, but I'm trying to communicate in simple terms. If the gospel was like this, how to heed to the gospel. This is how you do it. You heed to the gospel in a way of what the angel is saying in verse 7. What did he say? Number one, fear God. Fear God. Number two, give him glory. Number three, worship God with your life. That is how you heed to the gospel. Because if you think about it, that is how the gospel message is proclaimed. The angel is telling everybody to fear God and give him glory and worship him. Because if you turn over to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 4, you will see prior to Revelation 14, or what's going on? In Revelation chapter 14, I'm sorry, excuse me, chapter 13, here's the context. Revelation chapter 13 talks about Satan and Satan creating two beasts. Revelation 13, you can summarize it in this way. This is the Satanic Trinity, because if you add all of what Satan is doing in Revelation chapter 13, you have Satan creating two beasts. Which is added up to three. Satan gives authority to one of the beasts and another beast give his authority to another beast. And this is why it is the Satanic Trinity. This is what's going on. And while people are there on the earth, this is what it says in Revelation chapter 13, verse one through four. It says, and they worship the dragon, for he had give, has given his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? Did y'all catch that? Understand how the wording is, the emotion behind what I just read to you. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? What they're saying in this particular context that no one is like the beast. No one can fight against it. We fear God. We, I'm sorry, we fear Satan and we worship Satan and the two beasts. When you fear someone... Or something, it causes you to submit to their authority. 
Fear controls your motives of your spiritual life and your moral actions. It dictates who you are. And people who will worship Satan and the two beasts are fearful of them. The angel is saying in our text, don't fear and worship Satan. Don't fear the two beasts. Fear God. Give him glory and worship him. This is what the angel is saying. It is as if the angel was repeating Jesus' words by saying, do not fear those who can kill the body but, and but cannot kill the soul, but fear the one who can destroy the body and soul in hell. Because if you do not fear and worship God, then you are already judged. This is what the angel has stated the angel has stated the hour of his judgment has come. Look at your sermon outline. The second point is Revelation chapter 14, verse 8. It says the second angel within our text proclaims judgment upon Babylon, which is the world system. The angel in verse 8 says, this is John having this angelic vision by stating in verse 8, another angel, a second, falling, saying, falling, follow saying, falling, falling is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 14 are connected. Because people on the earth, they are in the world system. They are doing what the world wants them to do. They are following the bureaucracy of the world. Right? But this is the world's judgment. Because in Revelation chapter 18, it gives a full summon of Babylon being judged. You don't have to turn there. But you can write down the notes. It gives the full consummation of Babylon being judged, the world system being judged. And the angel is saying to the world system, the world has made those to drink of her sexual immorality. And the reason why this particular term there, sexual immorality, it plays on the ancient world system. Because the majority of the time, if you live in that era of that world, sexual immorality had to do with religious rituals. But the, cons- and, and the irony of this particular passage is that how the angel pronounced the judgment upon the world. 
This is what the angel said again. She who had she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, the wine of her passion. I know some of you guys like to dab a little bit a bit in wine, which is good. It's biblical. As long as you don't get drunk. Right. (laughs) We're not legalistic here. This angel is saying. She, Babylon, the world system, has made people to drink of her sexual immorality. And the irony is here is in this particular text is that God used the same method to judge the world. If the world is going to make someone drink of her sin, God is going to make the world drink of his judgment. In your Bible, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9 through 11. This is Isaiah prophesying about the world. What we're going to do as we read chapter Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9. We're going to skip over 10 and jump to 11. This is what Isaiah says. In verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Jump down to verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of their arrogance. The child catch that. And lay low to the lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. What Isaiah is saying is that for those who believe and have a prideful, arrogant, selfish, evil heart, God is going to judge them. Not only them, God is going to judge the world. Because for me, on a personal note, sometimes I I cannot wait. I really can't. I cannot wait till I'm gone from this world. I know Pastor Gus uh, mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago that his lifespan is about this and the elder's lifespan about this, right? Uh, very, uh, a hand width of their lifespan. My heart gets like that sometimes. Because I'm tired. I get tired of the sinfulness of this world. I cannot wait to see my Lord's face because at that very moment, I know for myself that I am not going to sin against him. My spiritual state and my soul and my future body in heaven will be frozen in perfectness. Because this world system has nothing to offer me. 
it traps Christians in a way for them to sin against their Lord. This is why the Lord has spoke through the mouth of Peter in Second Peter chapter three, verse uh, 10, by saying, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God is going to not judge the world like he did in the days of Noah by flooding the world. He's going to judge the world with fire. Like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. The third point In verse, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through 11. This is what it says. Here's the third angel. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image, And receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. In the presence of the holy angels. And in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. This angel, the third angel, pronounces the eternal judgment. Upon all who worships the beast and receives the mark of the beast in the mark of the beast image. This is what's going on. In Matthew chapter 13. You don't have to turn there. But I will. This is what it says. Matthew chapter 13 verse 41 and 42 is very consistent with our text in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through 11. This is what the, our Lord has said about his judgment. He said, the Son of Man will send his angels. We have three angels. And they will gather out of his kingdom all cause, causes of sin. And all lawless lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what our Lord has said. Where he clearly stated in his word. And it's repeated in our text. Now, let me give you 
an ideal of what's going on. The ideal of what the angel has stated in our text, which is the eternal judgment. He is telling those who are worshiping the beast and receive his receive a mark on their on his forehead and on his hand will be judged. Right. Now, back in Revelation chapter 13, if you look at Revelation chapter uh, 13, verse 15, reading on through 18, it says, And it will allow to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the beast of the image to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of their forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six, six, six. As a kid, when I was going through uh, listening to sermons about this particular tattoo, six, 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 and I didn't want to get a tattoo of that. You know, if I ever got a tattoo, I didn't want it to be six, six, six. Right. But what John is saying in Revelation chapter 13 about this particular number in the Hebrew and Greek letters, they add up to numbers themselves. Does that make sense? So when you add up the number six, six, six is added up to a name. And if you have the ESV translation, you can see in your footnotes that it added up to the num, uh, to the name Nero. Nero. Nero was an individual who persecuted Christians. Keep in mind, in Revelation chapter 1 through 3, we have the seven churches of God is calling those seven churches to have endurance who is suffering under persecution. So for those who are worshiping the beasts and have the image of Nero's name on their forehead and on their hand, they cannot buy or sell anything. You might be wondering, how is that going to be? Well, I think we're... In the brink of this age anyway, of getting to the point that we cannot buy or sell anything with credit or debit cards. Yesterday, I or two days ago, I was uh, purchasing an item, which is a uh, modem and router uh, for our home because we just got Internet installed in our home. But I did everything on Walmart's website. And as I'm filling out my information, I got to the point where it says, type in your debit card. So what I did, I took out my debit card, right? And it says, scan your debit card. So I got my iPhone 
And I scanned my debit card and I was amazed how the computer generated my debit card numbers. The word system is going to get to that point. For those who don't have the mark of the beast on their hand or on their forehead, they're not going to be able to buy or sell anything. So for those who don't, I mean, for those who do, the world system and the rulers of the world, the satanic trinity, will know and identify to those who have that particular name. Is it going to be Nero? No. It's not going to be Nero. Nero is dead. But the importance of this still stands. When that time come, and it will come, people is either going to have to choose. And what I see of where, of where the world is going in this present moment is that people have already chosen. And this is why, this is why the third angel in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through uh, 11 is saying, for those who receive this particular mark, they have made a full commitment of who they are going to serve, who are they going to fear, and who are they going to worship, and it's not going to be God. And that is why the angel, this third angel, pronounces judgment. And this is why in in Revelation chapter 14, it's the last call for all those to repent. This is the very last call, the very last warning. Because in the rest of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, there's no more warnings. There is no more call to repentance. It's only judgment. But I know I've kind of been legalistic in the sense of proclaiming God's judgment because I want you to see the importance of it. I really do. I want you to grasp what is going on, how it related in John's day, and how it is going to relate in the days to come and in your lives as well. Because in Second Thessalonians... This is what chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. This is what our Lord has said repeatedly and repeatedly over and over. Our Lord has said about the gospel. We can start in verse four. For we know, brothers, second, uh, I'm sorry, not Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, chapter four, verse uh, 
chapter 4, verse 4 through 10. It says this. For we know, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you because our gospel. Yeah, I was right in the beginning. Second Thessalonians, not first. It says, Second uh, Thessalonians, chapter one, verse five through ten says this. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Indeed, God consider it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flame and fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When it comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was belief. As the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of God. That is true. If I can scare y'all in, in believing in this to the core of your fiber, to the fiber of your being, to repent of the gospel, I would do it all day. I say that jokingly, but I'm serious. Because it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of God. Because this is what's going to happen. Going back to our text. The angel saying that God is going to pour out his full wrath. Full strength. It's, it's, let's, read, let's digress just a little bit. And I want you to get this, this picture. The eternal gospel was for Christ to come and redeem the entire world. Christ took upon himself the full wrath of God's cup. He drank it for y'all. And God viewed that as a righteous and holy deed on behalf of his son to redeem those who Christ claimed for himself. Now, at this particular moment in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, we at this point where God is not going to judge his son. He's going to judge you because you did not look upon his son to believe in him. It's going to be over. This is what the angel proclaimed again in verse 10. Pour forth strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. So these are the people who are who worship the beast. These are the people who are in hell. And trust me, kids, girls, Mitt Wayne's, Dante, 
Donovan, Dorian, Mark. Scriptures and, and the Bible is not a fairy tale story. Hell is real. It is real. And for kids, listen to me very carefully. If you don't make a decision right now, you are already condemned. That's very clear and it's very plain. And I don't want to speak in parables because I'm being very serious. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, as of this moment, you are condemned. You are in this world system. You are symbolically already have the symbol, the the mark of the beast on your forehead and on your hands. So these are the people who is going to be judged. And these are the people who have pledged allegiance to worship the beast for those who are in hell at that time in the time when Christ came. I know uh, it was Veterans uh, Day, um, and I, I appreciate everyone. I appreciate Rod, uh, Pastor Gus, Roscoe, and whoever else was a veteran. I, I, we, we thank you for your service. I really do. Give them a hand clap for me, please. And I'm saying this is because when you serve the, uh, our state, our, our, the United States or any other country, in some form of fashion, you are pledging allegiance to that country. And I'm not just speaking to, uh, to our veterans. You're pledging to serve, right? I remember when I was young, and in fact... Not too long ago, I was in Mariah's uh, class while she was teaching the four-year-olds, I believe. Is that right? Uh, two-year-olds? Thank you, Kaylee. She was uh, teaching the two-year-olds. And I was just curious to see how the liturgy of their classroom is going to take about. And when I sat in, and as Mariah is teaching uh, the two-year-olds, they got up in front of the Flag, and they said the Pledge of Allegiance. That's what they said. And we all did it, right? We all did that as a kid. We took our, we took our right hand, placed it over our heart, raised our left hand, and said this, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's what we said, right? So we're pledging, in a sense, we're teaching our kids to have allegiance to this country, which this country, in a sense, doesn't have allegiance to our kids. To a, a certain degree, it is perfectly fine for you to be patriotic. But allow me to submit this to you. Your allegiance should be to no one except for Christ. It shouldn't be to this world. 
It shouldn't be to a country that is going to be here when you die. But your allegiance should be to Christ. And this is what's happening in Revelation chapter 13. That they have the people who are going to be judged and will worship the satanic trinity. They pledge allegiance to Satan. And this is why God is going to judge him. Again, let me digress. Because I know how harsh I can be when it comes to this. There's hope. There is hope. Even those who have the mark of, of the beast's image on their hand or on their forehead, God is still able to save them. It is nothing that God can do to redeem a person who is deeply in the world and deeply following Satan. It is not like God's power cannot save them because he can. This is what John is doing. He's saying that, yes, they will be judged for those who receive the mark on the beast, but... If we read between the text of scripture, between the white lines of the black letters, we will see that God can still save them. But what I think is happening in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through 11, it says, for those who does receive the mark of the beast on their hand or on their forehead is committing the unforgivable sin, which is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? That is what's going on. It's, it is at that point when everyone who is in the, going to be in the last days of tribulation. They're not repenting of God's, uh, of, of God's wrath. And let me say it in a different way. In Revelation chapter 13 and 14, before these two chapters, God have poured out his wrath in different ways. He poured out his wrath... To call people to repentance. Like in, like when God blow the seven, allowed the angels to blow the seven trumpets. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, this is what, he's, what John have written. It said, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Verse 21 in Revelation chapter 9. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorcerers or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Again. When God sent the plagues, when he, when he allowed the angels to blow the seven trumpets, 
or allowed the angels to pour out the seven bowls full of God's wrath. It is a way for God to call those to repentance. It is a way for them, for God to put them under his wrath so that they can be saved. So when we come to our text at this particular moment in Revelation 14, when God pour out his wrath, he wants them to be saved. As scripture emphatically pronounce that God wishes no one to perish. That is the heart of God. But God is not a blind God. He is not like the world system who think that liberty and justice is equal to all in this world because it is not. There is favoritism and biasness in this particular world. But when God produce and give out liberty and justice is going to be righteous. He's not going to turn a blind eye. He doesn't have the blind folders over his eyes. So going back to our text, the last point, which is Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. Verse 12 yeah, 12, verse 13, uh, 12, Revelation 14, verse 12 and 13. As you see on your sermon outline, it says, A call for those who heeded to the warning of God's judgment and obeyed the eternal message of God's, of the gospel, because they will find eternal rest in Jesus Christ. We have three things, or actually one. Three things wrapped in one, which is the gospel is eternal. God's judgment is eternal. And God's rest is eternal. For those who are in Christ Jesus will find eternal rest. So to put it in our context. In our world, whatever the case may be, I don't know. I don't know too much about your lives or your past life. If you have suffered in any manner, if you have been done wrong in any manner or persecuted in such a way. And if you are in Jesus Christ, you will receive eternal rest. You don't have to worry about that anymore. As scripture says at the very end, that Christ, that there will be no more crying, and that Christ will wipe away every tear. So for those who will face persecution, and even till today, for those Christians who are in eastern countries are, that are facing persecution. John is saying, 
although it may seem cloudy, it may seem rough, it may seem as if there's no hope, but I'm asking you to continue to look at Christ because there will you find rest. If you, uh, if you turn your sermon outline on his back, on the back page, there's application that I want us to ponder on. There's four questions as a application. And I want you to really think about it. Think about what I'm asking you as you read. In verse 1 it says, I'm at the verse 1, and the question 1 on the application side. It says, have you heeded to the eternal gospel that will save you from God's eternal judgment? Have you heeded to the eternal gospel that will save you from God's eternal judgment? Question number two. Scripture says, do not love the, this world or the things that is in the world. If anyone loves the, the world, the love of the father is not in him. As the second angel proclaimed the judgment of Babylon, the world system. That judgment is going to come for those who love this world. You do not love the Father. You cannot serve two masters. Either you serve the one or hate the other. Because if you do love this world, like the people in our text, then you do not love Christ. If you love what this world is going to offer, if you love how this world system is, which is nothing but the pride of life, the pride of possessions, as John stated. I put it this way before I ask the question within the application question. One pastor said it this way. You can have all your orgies. You can have this world system. You can have what the world is offering, but give me Christ. So the application question number two says, do you love this world and what this world is offering? Or is your love for the father who is in heaven? Application number three. Who do you pledge allegiance to? Is your allegiance to the Lord or to someone else? It could be a boyfriend. It could be your job. It could be the money in your bank account. It could be whatever the case may be that has taken Christ off the throne of your heart. Who is your allegiance to? Application number four. Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what Jesus is saying is that for those who do not desire anything that this world has to offer, but everything that the Lord is offering, that you have found your life. You have found the eternal reward, which is Jesus Christ. So the question that follows, have you found eternal rest in Jesus? Have you found eternal rest in Jesus Christ? Because when you know that you are in the Lord, you know for sure that your future reward is coming. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, what can I say to your people that you have already said to them? If I have to say anything to them in in this particular prayer, it's on the lines of Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 and 13. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God in the fear in Jesus. And I hear a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord for now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors. And I ask you, for those who do not know you, for those who who are continuing to serve this world and what this world has to offer and the ruler of this world, which is Satan, I ask you to save them. I ask you to help them not to give glory to Satan, but to you. I ask you to help them to fear you, to give you glory and to help them to worship you with their very lives. By your spirit, convict their hearts. If someone do not know you, Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit before they go out or even as they driving in their car, they will come to the saving knowledge of you. Do not allow them to continue to follow this world or to Satan. Father, you have said in your word that you are calling people to Christ. And for those who are here under the sound of my voice, I pray that you will call them to Christ. As uh, Archangel Michael have stated in Jude, not willing to go beyond his own authority of rebuking Satan, he said that the Lord rebukes you, Satan. I, too, say the same thing. Lord, rebuke Satan from the lives of these people. I pray this in your name. 
your holy, eternal name, a name that is matchless, a name that is above all name, a name that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Pray this in your name, that you would do this so that you in the presence of your holy angels and in the presence of your father, that y'all will receive glory. Amen. As we continue to come to a close.